0: Earlier this month, the remains of the historic Mungo Man uh, were returned to its burial site in the Mungo National Park near Mildura. It's the oldest skeleton ever found of an Aboriginal man. It was removed in 1974 by scientists and taken to the Australian National University in Canberra. Uh, And local Aboriginal people have been trying to get the remains returned ever since. Uh, Local man Michael Young said, We know as Aboriginal people that we need to bring our ancestors home and take care of them. We should be the custodians. It's a great celebration as he returns to country. But there's also great sadness that in 43 years and despite great pressure on New South Wales and federal governments, there's still no proper memorial place. He needs a major memorial, a major identification of his iconic status In the pages of earliest Australian history, his name stands out and we failed to make a final resting place for these historic remains. I read that uh, in an online article and it was interesting to read the the comments at the bottom of the article. To some it seemed like a lot of fuss over where bones are going to be kept. Uh, But for many cultures, including Aboriginal culture, where you're buried is highly significant. You may remember a number of years ago Yasser Arafat died, the leader of the Palestinian people. Uh, They've been fighting with Israel over the same stretch of land in Palestine for decades. And when he died both sides wanted him buried in different places. The Palestinians wanted him buried in Jerusalem. But there was no way in the world Israel was going to let that happen because it's loaded with implications of ownership. And there was no way in the world the Palestinians were going to let Arafat be buried down in Egypt, which was an Israeli suggestion, which was loaded with implications of dispossession. In the end he was buried in the bombed out compound in Ramallah on the West Bank where he'd been confined for the last two and a half years. He was covered in soil taken from the mosque in Jerusalem, Uh, which is where the Palestinians one day want him to be buried. Obviously the Israelis aren't keen on that idea. It's, It's all very significant. A whole lot of effort and argument about where to dig a hole in the ground. All spent deciding a spot for a plot. It seems a bit foreign to us, but that's exactly the sort of situation we have here in Genesis chapter 23. Arguing over a burial plot. In very much the same part of the world. Uh, it's a story loaded with subtleties, loaded with politics, but of every, uh, above everything else, in the case of Abraham, it's loaded with faith in God's promises. Uh, we're coming back to Genesis after a bit of a break. Uh, we finished a, a while ago on chapter 22, so now we're starting with 23. We'll skim through this chapter and then come back and think about what it means for us. Uh, Well, we're dropping into Abraham's family at a very sad time. The first couple of verses uh, tell us that uh, his wife Sarah has died at the ripe old age of 127. His son Isaac is all grown up though and he has the world at his feet and we'll hear something of him in a moment. Uh, Heartbroken Abraham mourns for his wife and weeps over her body. But then he gets up. Uh, because there's arrangements to be made, he heads into town to organise the burial. Uh, And even though burials, uh, those days were fairly simple, there was no need to organise all the things we organise today, uh, but for Abraham there was still a huge barrier in the way. Uh, You see, back in chapter 12, God had promised to bless Abraham with the whole land of Canaan and also with enough descendants to fill the whole land. And even though it's been more than 60 years since God first made that promise, Abraham was still to see any of it. He lives in the land but he's only camping. He doesn't own a square inch. He doesn't even own enough to bury his wife. And so he heads into town, Kiriath Arbor, to the city gate where the business deals were done, Uh, because maybe it was a bit like our local pub, that's where you went to do a deal. Uh, And he makes the announcement you see in verse 4, I'm an alien and a stranger among you, sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Well, here's where it starts. It's an incredible scene of Middle Eastern backward bartering. Did it sound strange to you? (laughs) Normally you go to a marketplace and you ask the price and the seller starts with one price that's high, normally way more than he actually expects. The buyer starts really low and so it goes back and forth and you meet in the middle. But not here. It's the reverse. They say, look, take it for nothing. It's a gift. Uh, And Abraham says, no, no, I want to pay twice the going price. Abraham says, "'Sell me a burial plot,' verse 5 and 6. The Hittites say, "'Sir, listen, you're a mighty prince. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you.'" Well, Abraham has the perfect spot in mind and in a few minutes you'll see why it's so special. But he's not going to take it as a gift. He bows down and he says in verse 8, "'If you're willing to let me bury my dead, talk to Ephron, ask him to sell me the cave down the end of his paddock.'" the cave of Macpella. Ask him to sell it to me at the full price. Now if you're a haggler yourself, you'll be scratching your head at this point. You've never heard anything like it. Don't give it to me. Ask him to sell it to me at the full price, not even a discount. Well, uh, as it happens, Ephron is in there, there in the crowd and in verse 11 he says, No, no my lord, I give it to you. That and the cave, I I give it to you, go and bury your dead. It's an offer too good to refuse. Ephron's saying, take it, it's yours, not just a cave, you can have the whole field. A buyer wants to pay full price, a seller wants to give it away, it's crazy. Verse 12, he bows down in front of the people and he says to Ephron, listen to me, I'll pay the price, accept it from me. Stop arguing, name your price. Well at this point Ephron seems to make the most of the situation. He says, well, if you insist, I think it's worth 400 shekels of silver. Now that's the equivalent of the cost of a Point Piper mansion for a house in Blacktown. Uh, There's a verse in Jeremiah written maybe 500 years later about buying a field for 17 shekels of silver. That's about what a field costs, 17 shekels of silver. And Ephron... Want Abraham to pay 400. But here's what is even more incredible: Abraham pays. Him. Verse 16, he weighs out nearly five kilos of silver, and he pays him. And he says in verse 17, uh, and it says in verse 17, so Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field was all legally made over to Abraham in the presence of all the Hittites. And finally Abraham lays Sarah to rest in the field that has been bought at an incredible price, including the trees within the border. Now that seems like a strange detail to include, doesn't it? But it's a hint for us about why that field is so important. And he could have had it all for nothing. Well, now the question is, what do we make of what we've just read? What's so significant about this little real estate transaction that makes it worth spending a whole chapter on? Well, I want to suggest it's exactly the same theme that we see all the way through Genesis from chapter 12. It's about the promises of God. And when you look at it that way, things start to make sense, even Abraham's crazy way of doing business. Up to this point, from chapter 12, God's promises have been focused on descendants, how Isaac was going to be born and how Isaac was uh, risking being sacrificed by Abraham in the previous chapter. Isaac was born. But today's story is about one of the other promises, not descendants but land, a country to live in. Back in chapter 13, God promises him a land as far as he can see And then he invites him to to go for a walk. Check it out. Uh, Walk right through the land because it's all going to be yours, says God. So in chapter 13, Abraham moves his tents. Uh, In verse 18, it says of chapter 13, and he went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. Great trees, Mamre, altar to God. If you flick over to the start of chapter 18, so from 13 to 18, Abraham is back in the same place. He's wandered around, but here in chapter 18, verse 1, he's in the same spot because there's a meeting with God. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. And As we read on through chapter 18, verse 10, it says... Right here among those trees God promises once again I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son. The special spot where God had made those great promises. Mamre in the middle of the trees. Well now if we go back to chapter 23 notice something important. That was years ago, it was decades ago that God made that promise and a lot has happened. But those great trees of Mamre at Hebron is exactly where Abraham buried Sarah. See it in verse 19. Afterward Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. Exactly the same place, which is why the trees of the land are mentioned, I think because it was at those trees where God had made his promise. This is the promised land and this is the exact spot where the promise was made for the land. And at the end of Sarah's life that's the spot Abraham wants. Abraham's rich, he's got cattle, he's got silver but he still doesn't own anything in the promised land. And so, if he has the choice to own any land, that's the block he wants, where God made the promise. Uh, Which may, of course, explain the arguments about the bartering and the selling of the land. They want to give it to him. Abraham insists on paying top dollar because there's no way he's going to give people bragging rights, give people the opportunity to say, well, I was the one who gave Abraham his first start wasn't God at all. It was me. It's all down to me that Abraham's got this whole land. Abraham's not going to let that happen. He's trusting that God will fulfil his promises. He's relying completely on him. He can't see it yet, but he he knows that God is good for it. And this block that he buys with the money God's given him is just the beginning. It's only one field, but he knows there's more coming because God's promised it. In chapter 24, the next chapter makes the same point. It's time for Abraham to find his son Isaac a wife. We've had a funeral, now it's time for a wedding. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 25, we'll have two weddings and two funerals. Sounds like the name of a movie. Uh, But here in chapter 24... There's the detailed story, and it's a beautiful story. We didn't read it, but you should read it when you get home. Uh, a story of a servant who goes back to Abraham's homeland uh, to find the right girl who's a relative and bring her back. It's, it's a very romantic story. Uh, and before he travels back, the servant says, well, what about I just take Isaac with me and he can live back there? And Abraham says, no way. My boy stays here. Why? because it's the land God promised me. He's the son God promised me, this is the land he promised me. Uh, Chapter 24 verse 6 uh, we read, Make sure you do not take my son back there, the Lord the God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath saying to your offspring I will give this land, he'll send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son. Uh, The servant goes, God provides a wife, Rebecca is ready and waiting to water his camels and offer water for him as well and they get on well and she comes back with him. Uh, She comes back to the promised land, she meets Isaac and he's handsome and they fall in love and they get married happily ever after. And so begins the next generation that will grow up in the land, the land that God had promised. And so we come to chapter 25 where we read that Abraham marries too, marries again and he has lots more kids and each of them will grow into a nation of their own Uh, and then he dies, verse 7 of chapter 25, he's 175 and we get our second funeral. Chapter 25 verse 8 says, Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him, where? In the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. What field was that, just in case we've forgotten? The field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. Right in the spot where God had promised him a whole country and Abraham died and was buried there and he never saw God's promises fulfilled. He died on the only bit of ground that God had delivered. And he even had to buy that with his own money. And he died waiting to see the fulfillment. But he died confident that God would deliver even after his death. And that's where it gets relevant for us. Because for every believer, God's promises for us are not exhausted in our lifetime. Just like Abraham, God promises to do far more for us than what we will receive in this life. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Now, let me show you what I mean. Hebrews 11, a wonderful chapter as you look at uh, the Old Testament, but uh, from verse 13 of Hebrews 11, It describes how Abraham and his family lived by faith throughout their life. And then it says in verse 13, all these people, Abraham and his family members, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now they didn't see them with their physical eyes, they saw them with the eyes of faith. They saw them in the sense that God promised them and they believed God's promise. They died expecting more. goes on, Hebrews 11 verse 16, Instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham's confident investment in that little block of land showed he trusted God, even though he knew he was going to die and that others would see the fruit of that trust. And as his reward, God is not ashamed to be called Abraham's God and he's prepared an eternal, heavenly city for Abraham, which is exactly the same city God's prepared for us, And he wants us to trust him for that future, just like Abraham did. And so, as you sit here today, if Abraham could say one thing to you based on this chapter, it would be something like spend generously on the things that will last. You can trust God's promises, promises that will reach beyond this life. Spend generously. Abraham would say, look ahead with the eyes of faith. This world is not your home. There is more to come. You're only a stranger here. You're only on a tourist visa. You don't have permanent residency. There's no PR here in this world. Your home is in eternity with God. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't put down roots don't spend a fortune on something that won't last. Look with the eyes of faith into eternity and spend big on that. Spend your time on building friendships for Jesus rather than building your retirement fund. Growing your church instead of growing your garden. Training others in godliness rather than how to kick a footy. Spend your money on ministry rather than motorcars, on evangelism rather than Europe, on missionaries rather than microwaves. Spend your evenings reading the Bible and praying with your family rather than watching Netflix and checking up Facebook. Spend your energy on going to home group rather than going to bed with a, a good book. Spend your energy on encouraging others rather than eBay. Abraham spent big because he trusted God. People who live making those sorts of costly decisions show their confidence in the eternal promises of God. And it's people like that to whom God promises I'm not ashamed to be their God. I've prepared a city for them, an eternal heavenly city. Trust him. He'll never disappoint you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Abraham uh, who showed his trust in you, who loved your promises, who cherished them and remembered them. Uh, Help us to, to love your promises, to trust you, to show that trust by the way we live today.